podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Scotland are through to the European Championship playoff final and are sitting top of Group 2 in League B of the Nations League. It's been a successful week so far after games against Israel and Slovakia, but does a seemingly polished and resolute backline fill you with dangerous optimism or are you proceeding with extreme caution much like our midfield and attack like to do? I think we can all agree results are the priority for Steve Clark and the team. And it's seven unbeaten now, exactly 12 months since that run started against San Marino. Results haven't come against the most testing of opposition, though. But not losing against teams we're expected to beat feels quite nice, doesn't it? I'm Andy Barge, and joining me today are two regular pundits. In the glass half-full corner is Goran Shiach. In the glass half-empty corner is Ben Ramage. Gentlemen, I want a good, clean debate, OK? Fair, fair. We'll behave. <laughs> All right, then. Let's start off with you, Gordon. You are a ray of sunshine at the moment. You're very happy with the way things are going for Scotland. What's pleased you over the last couple of games? Well, I think... Coming off the back of the games in September, we were, were all a little bit, a little bit um, suspicious, a little bit concerned about the the change in system, the move to three at the back. We thought, why has he done this? What's he looking at? But and I feel like it was maybe only last night against Slovakia that we really started to see the benefits of the system that we're playing. I think the players looked like they knew what they were doing, um, and yeah, I. Honestly, I, I don't know about you guys, I don't know when the last time I watched Scotland win a game against decent, credible opposition, and there was no panic in the last 10 minutes. There was no flap, there was no backs against the wall, no panic. We just, it was a very streetwise performance. We saw the win out. And compare that actually to earlier in Clark's reign when we played Russia at home in qualifying, we took the lead and then spent the rest of the game retreating into our shell and inevitably an equaliser came and Russia took the lead. Nothing like that. It was a million miles away from that last night and a very composed performance. Ben, you are obviously very pleased with getting through to the playoff final and beating Slovakia, but on the group chat you were saying you had a bit of a bit of concern with the way we were going forward. No, I'm, I'm obviously delighted with uh, the way the last two games have gone. Um, don't get me wrong, the results have been perfect. Um, the issue for me was the Israel game was horrendous in terms of as a spectacle which I know doesn't really matter to us in terms of getting through but I just I'm a bit concerned going forward if we play a a better stronger team I'm not convinced that this style will get us through but what I would say is that it definitely gives us a better chance because as you can see we're suddenly a lot harder to beat um, and and it's effective you know it is effective and this is maybe what we've been missing over the last you know 20 years this is the closest we've been um, so, you know, long may it continue as long as it keeps working. OK, let's discuss the, the three at the back then. Plus points and negatives. Scott McTominay is one that came in for a lot of criticism in September after the games against Israel and the Czech Republic. He looked a lot better over the weekend there, would you agree, Gordon? He did, really, a lot, lot better. I think he's, I think he's grown into that role a lot over the last month. I think... We all couldn't believe it when the team sheets were announced back in September for the game against Israel at Hamden. And to find that Scott McTominay was playing at centre-back, it was a real uh, shock for us to to hear that. But I think, for me, Scott McTominay playing at centre-back, it's not because there's a lack of centre-backs, because we do have other centre-back options. So obviously, the reason why Steve Clark is going with him there is because he wants him to do something different. He sees skills in him that he can bring to the team. And I think we saw that last night. The way that McTominay would push a little bit higher, it was constantly giving overloads in midfield for Scotland where we were able to outnumber the Slovakia midfielders and play little passes and just retain possession. And I think that was a big thing that he, he brought to the side. I, I liked, enjoyed watching it. 
Ben, do you think McTominay's days as a holding midfielder for Scotland are over? I think it's quite it's quite handy now that he can play both. Um, I think Clark made quite a uh, a telling quote from him last night. He said that McTominay supposedly uh, can't play at right centre half. I felt like that was just a wee bit of a jive at the people that maybe said that he obviously couldn't. And I was one, you know, I I was thinking, you know, he's centre mid for Man United. Why are you playing him at centre back? But the way he brought the ball out was brilliant and there was a lot of sort of first time passes in and there was little knocks on you know playing the wingers in and it did it was really effective and you know I think it's good to have the option um my, my one concern would be if Tierney then comes into the back three is there enough defensive now in that back three to stop you know a really good you know European team I'm not I'm not 100% sure but a fair play to him because it has worked um, especially the last couple of games. Do you, do you mean that in the sense that you worry Tierney won't be able to defend well enough against big, bigger teams? Well, Tierney isn't, you know, a hundred percent centre back, and you would argue that neither is McTominay. So you would only have one really natural centre back. I would imagine in the middle, which that might be enough. But I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure, especially going away to Serbia. I'm just. I'm not convinced that that's maybe strong enough. Mm-hmm. Although, do you, do, you, do you guys remember when, um, when Scotland played Gibraltar at home in Euro 2016 qualifying? <laughs> and Gordon Strachan devised the most incredible formation I've ever seen, where it was a three at the back, where the left side of the centre-back was Andy Robertson, the right side of the centre-back was Alan Hutton, and I yeah. think, was it, goodness, was it, was it Russell Martin in the centre? Russell Martin in the middle, yeah. yeah. So we had one centre-back and two, two, two yeah. wing-backs. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, it didn't look very good. <laughs> surprise, never, surprise, we can never see forget. Before that game, Strachan quote direct quote was, "We'll show Gibraltar the same respect that we show every other team." And then <laughs> threw that lineup out. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, d- defending uh, seems to have come naturally to someone in the Scotland team. I, he's done very well domestically uh, over the past wee while, but Declan Gallagher looked like he'd been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was really, I was really impressed with him. You know, given that that was his, was it his fourth cap um, the other night? I just think he dominated. He won all his challenges. He didn't put a foot wrong. There was a couple of moments where he was sort of getting close down, and you think, right, how's your composure? You know, you're cool enough for this, and he totally was. Um, I think he's really played his way into this team. 100. Gordon, do you think, do you think McKenna's place is under serious threat from Gallagher? Oh, 100%. I think I think it absolutely should be. I think Gallagher's been excellent these last two games. I think for him, and also shouting out Andy Considine as well, who only joined up with the squad with, like, what, 24 hours, 36 hours notice? I mean, the best compliment I can pay Gallagher and Considine is that I basically didn't notice them all game because there was no shaky moments, there was no panic, there was no miscommunication. Just smooth. Just smooth. Retaining possession, winning headers. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. Do you feel more assured, Ben, with Gallagher there than McKenna. I, I don't know about you, but for me, that there, there always seems to be an iffy moment or two with McKenna through a game where you suspect that he might misjudge a ball or leave his man. Gallagher, in my opinion, anyway, seems to be more of an assured option. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think Gallagher's more of an old school defender, do his jobs, win his headers, you know, make his clearances. Whereas McKenna likes to bring the ball out. He likes to maybe try a step over and try and beat someone, which is fine when it comes off. But when it doesn't come off, if you're a centre back, you know, you're in real trouble. So for me, I would probably feel more comfortable with Gallagher filling that spot going forward. Do you think, Gordon, though, that when Cooper and Tierney both come back, they are likely to shift Gallagher out of the team assuming that Considine will be as well Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a really difficult difficult decision to make for, for Steve Clark. I thought Liam Cooper was absolutely fine again on Thursday night I mean, he is an incredibly experienced player as we've spoken about before, he's a leader in the dressing room, he's a leader at Leeds United um, I like him a lot as a player um, there's, there's a lot of question marks but you know, the, the next game is the big one, so you don't want to be taking any risks. Depending on the the injury layoff that McKenna has, does Considine have to be included in the conversation then for the squad for Serbia in a month's time? Porteous was called up. Paul Hanlon is now in the squad for the game against the Czechs this week. 
has Considine given himself a real shot at being included uh, come November? Yeah, I would say so. I think you're not going to want to put someone that's uncapped into that final. I think that's just way too big a game. So the fact that he's played it, and you know, as we discussed, he's played so many games for Aberdeen, he's played in Europe, and he's played as, as part of a back three as well, which I think is a massive advantage because he knows that system inside out. Um, so for me, if you're going to have some, if, if say Cooper was injured, say we needed someone to come in at centre-back, then at least he's proven that he can do it. Um, on a big, in a big game. So, are you are you happy with are you happy with Considine's inclusion over Porteous, Gordon, uh, with regards to the Slovakia game and potentially the Czech Republic game this week? Um, yeah, I have I have no issue with that. I mean, Porteous is very much a coming talent, you know, but he's he's still establishing himself. He still maybe hasn't had a full season at Hibs yet, where he's been able to play without injury, without suspension. So. I think he's he's the the coming man, but as Steve Clark said in his media appearances, the thing about Andy Constantine, as Ben alluded to there, just the weight of experience he's got in professional football means that you always know you're going to get a six or seven out of ten out of Andy Constantine. And I think when it comes to the next squad, again we're looking at a triple header, as we will do when World Cup qualifiers start in March. That having a bigger squad, these are exactly the kind of characters you want around your squad, hundred percent. Let me put a question to you both. I I acknowledge and accept the fact, as I think everyone should, that Liam Cooper is a better footballer than Gallagher and Andy Considine. I think that's proven at the level he's playing at. He captained Leeds United to the English Championship title last season uh, and he's being picked by Marcelo Bielsa week in, week out. Over the last couple of games, I think that Gallagher and Considine actually played better than him. I thought that Cooper had shaky moments against Israel where he took slightly too long and when he was in possession of the ball to decide what he was going to do with it. It was almost as if when the ball arrived at Cooper's feet, he wasn't really sure where it was going to go next and he took a second too long to weigh up his options and that allowed Israel to put us under a wee bit of pressure at the back um, from time to time. I think that going forward, Cooper will play more than Gallagher and Considine, quite rightly. But would you agree or would you disagree that over the last couple of games, Ben, um, that Considine and Gallica were, were probably more assured performers than Cooper? Yeah, and I, the, thing, the thing I think you have to look at is that club and international form isn't always the same thing. You know, if you look at Robertson, it's a case of that. You know, the way he plays for Liverpool and the way he plays for Scotland, even when he's playing as a left back or a left wing back, they haven't always been the same. And Clark... I think especially we'll look at it on a case-by-case basis on how they play for Scotland. I don't think he'll be that fussed about who they play for, you know, barring if someone's playing for Barca or Real Madrid, that, you know, you're going to have to earn your right to play in his team. And Gallagher has certainly, I would say, impressed me more than Cooper has in his time in a Scotland shirt. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Clark stick with that. Gordon, can you foresee a scenario where Liam Cooper is the centre-back not chosen? Um, I think so. I think uh, I think something you have to bear in mind, uh, I think if you were to watch both these games this week against Israel and Slovakia with no understanding of the context, no understanding of where they fit in the competitions or qualification, etc., you'd know straight away that the game against Israel was the higher pressure, higher outcome, higher risk-reward game because the whole team, there was an edginess, there was a nerviness. I mean, it, it was quite a boring performance, let's be honest. It was 120 minutes that I will never get back in my life. But, and then when the, when the pressure was off to an extent against Slovakia, it was a far more assured, far more controlled performance. Now, yeah, you may be able to look into that as difference in personnel, but I think just the, the context of the game made it a lot easier to play better football against Slovakia. Let's chat about Andy Robertson briefly then. You're saying that the shackles sort of came off against Slovakia last night. I think that was actually reflected in Robertson's performance. Ben, it's the best I've seen him play for Scotland in, in some time. Yeah, and it was more of a defensive you know, performance from him, I would say. I don't know if he maybe feels the pressure that he has to create something when he's playing at left wing back. But also, when you look to that Israel game, he hardly offered anything. And he was actually really bossed by their right back. I think it was Dasser. Um, you know, he had him in his pocket the whole game. And that's what concerns me because you think, you know, you're the Liverpool star. You know, you shouldn't be getting run by by Dasser. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% certain, you know, what's the, 
what's the best thing for him going forward? I'm not I'm not sure the armband totally suits him to be honest. I think we've we've uh, we've discussed that point before that the the armband perhaps weighs quite heavily on Robertson's mind and he overthinks his play, feels a lot more responsibility in terms of trying to create and be the man to to make things happen. I thought Gordon that last night he he did fairly well against Slovakia. He, he has been quiet in recent games, not offering much going forward, but he was solid last night, defended well, and he did seem to make his way towards the Slovakia 18-yard box uh, significantly more than we've seen him attack recently. He did, he did, and you know, it, it, it's interesting that I remember saying this when the, the squad was announced, that I've always thought that you, you see the best out of Andy Robertson depending on who he can link up with in the squad, and for me, the fact that you had Ryan Fraser playing as sort of a second striker who could sort of pop up on either wing, I thought that was a massive invitation for Andrew Robertson to get forward. I think that's partially why you saw more of Andy Robertson going forward last night is because he was able to interlink with Ryan Fraser on the left wing, who I thought, by the way, was my man of the match, but I'm sure we'll get on to him. Do we, we all agree that Andy Robertson very much meant to get his yellow card? <laughs> I'd say so. It's you know, it was like the 60th minute, however, and there was there was nothing to gain, you know, yeah. like territorially or anything. So it just them all the way. <laughs> it really seemed like it was probably on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, as as I as I suggested off air before we started, you know, I I'm not sure if the the suspensions carry over between playoff and Nations League games, but. If that was the case and Andy was to get booked on Wednesday and then be suspended for the playoff, well, I couldn't care less that he got booked last night and he'll miss yep. Wednesday. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Before we move on from the back line, I think it makes sense to discuss Stephen O'Donnell. He played in both of the games against Israel. He looked maybe slightly out of his depth, a bit lost, hesitant on the ball, um, happy just to stop on the halfway line and, and pass inside against Slovakia. For the first 45 minutes, I did think that he, he was struggling again. And then in the second half, he, he seemed like a totally different player, but he set up the goal, but also had a, a new lease of life, really. Yeah, I've always felt a bit sorry for Stephen O'Donnell because he's always had it levelled at him that he's not an international level footballer. But at the end of the day, he was the best that Scotland had at that, you know, at that particular time. I think Palmer has maybe edged him you know, in recent games probably towards being second choice. But I've always really rated O'Donnell and he is a really solid, dependable right back. And it was really nice to see him get the assist as well. I thought he really, you know, he deserved that for all the, the flag that he's taken. Um, you know, I remember him getting absolutely slaughtered after the Belgium game. And you think, well, a lot of right backs get destroyed by Belgium. That's not, you know, that's a lot of defenders. So it was nice to see him get a nice moment and, um, you know, I, I would still not be too unconfident with him playing a right back against Serbia because I think defensively he does a good job. Gordon, do you think that Liam Palmer will be feeling slightly concerned? Um, I hope not um, because I, I, I would like to see Liam Palmer still in the squad. I'd like to see him still starting at right back. I think he, he played very, very well when we played in the Czech Republic last time out. Um, but I, I completely agree with everything Ben said about Stephen O'Donnell. I think he's a great great guy, great character. I remember the interview that he gave, I think it was in the, the South America tour under Alex McLeish when he made his debut. I mean, he was almost on the verge of tears post-match. You know, just clearly the representing his country just means the absolute world to him, which I have to say, the same for Andy Gonstein last night when he gave his post-match interview. It was a real, real touching, emotional moment for him to finally make his debut for Scotland. And that's exactly what you want to see from Scotland players, because you know we'd be the exact same. You know, we it would mean the world to us to do it, and for them to live our dreams is, is what we like to see. Yeah. Do you think that well, Clark's certainly going to persist with the three-five-two or the the three-six-one, whatever you want to call it, formation? Is there any place for James Forrest at right wing back, or is he in a bit of limbo at the moment, Gordon? Yeah, he's almost the, he, in, in that system, he's almost the piece of the jigsaw that just doesn't really fit on the table, really, because he obviously started a right wing back in our First Nations League game against Israel. For me, I think he was he was massively caught out there because he tried to get forward, he tried to support the attack and play in his traditional way as a winger, but it just meant that he got caught out with balls in behind him into the channel time after time that... It, it was it was a bit of a liability, so I'd, I'd be concerned for him and his his position in that in that setup. 
Yeah, and bye bye Forrest. Well, in this formation, yeah, I would say so. And like we've said, he hasn't. We've said it countless times on this podcast that he is another one that doesn't always bring his club form to the international level. And especially if Clark really wants this to be a really solid defensive unit, dependable, James Forrester, right wing back, doesn't bring you that for me. He's not strong enough, and his defensive awareness isn't good enough to play that from that system, which isn't his fault. You know, he is a he's a winger. Um, and I just don't feel like he would fit into that slot anymore. Okay, before we move on completely from the gatekeepers, let's talk about the very man, David Marshall. What time we went for him against Israel, Gordon? That'll be one that he won't forget in a hurry, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that'll be absolutely one of the highest and greatest moments of his career. I mean, Scotland's first ever penalty shootout. I mean, frankly, I don't know what our, uh, what our English cousins down south have been complaining about all these years at penalty shootouts. You just turn up, you score five, you win. I mean, <laughs> get over it. Um, you know, Marshall was fantastic. I think as well, the fact that it was it was their first penalty, it was their most dangerous player, um, it was Zahavi, you know, and it's a great, great save. And that just instantly, because McGinn had scored first, I mean, it was probably our worst penalty. <laughs> so lucky to find the net. But that just massively put all the pressure on the Israelis from moment one. So, Ben, I don't know about you. If you compare that that save to McLean's winner that I, I tweeted from the Hand and Roar account, and being very genuine about it, that as soon as I saw McLean walk up to the ball, sorry, place it and take his steps back, I had no concerns whatsoever. I was convinced that he was he was going to score it. And when your player is standing over about to take the penalty, there's always an an expectation that they're going to score. So it almost it's a a bigger release of emotion when your goalkeeper saves the shot because it's it's almost completely unexpected. Mm. Would, you, would you think that uh, along those lines? Yeah, I think I think confidence-wise, it's massive to get that first. Like, if you can just get ahead in the penalties, then all you have to do is match what they do. So I think it was absolutely crucial. You know, obviously McGinn's did square him in, but it went in. Um, but the save was so crucial in just getting us ahead. And then that just relieves the pressure on the rest of our takers. So then, I mean, they still held their nerve brilliantly. But, you know, that last one wasn't a case of if you miss it, you're out. It was a yeah. case of score it, you win, you know, and it yeah. was just, I think that just let McLean go up with that sort of confidence. He's a confident guy anyway. Um, but yeah, what a, what a moment for all of them. You know, the press, I think the pressure on that game was humongous. Um, it maybe didn't feel that way watching it from home because you weren't in the stand, but you, you could see the release. You could see, you know, how much it meant to all of them. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a great moment for everyone. Yeah. I think I think uh, for me that you know we've watched Scotland for so many years to, together and uh, how many times have we seen us lose games against teams that we're expected to beat when the pressure's on when it's late in a qualifying campaign we're going to a fourth or fifth seed we have to win that's when we don't that's when the pressure tells and our teams fold so the fact that it was not a good game on Thursday night it was not enjoyable for anybody but all the pressure was there and the players stood up to it completely and they they stood up to it and they put their penalties away and they won the game and I don't know if you guys saw that the, the Scottish FA they posted a thread I think it was on Friday morning just of the videos from behind the goal of all the penalties being taken and if you watch Kenny McLean's one you see him he's about to run up he gives the goalkeeper the eyes he looks bottom right and then puts it to the left and I was just like you confident bastard like <laughs> absolutely brilliant <laughs> I, th- I think as well with McLean's penalty, it was one of those ones that even if the goalie went the right way, I don't think he was getting that. Like McGregor's, uh, McGregor's penalty was side net. It was absolutely superb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, they, they, they were all quality finishes. It wasn't like they were trundling them in. McGinn's was actually the one that was a little bit of a trundler. But <laughs> he committed to it and it squirmed it, so we'll take it. Well, let's discuss the midfielders then. McLean and Fleck started against Slovakia. The probably first choice pairing of Jack and McGregor played against Israel. Again, I put out on the Twitter that I don't think any of them had particularly great games um, over the last couple of matches. I think that McGregor and Jack particularly were poor against Israel. We've discussed on the podcast before that McGregor is one of those ones that doesn't really seem to bring his club form to international level. Jack has done I'd say not bad in a Scotland jersey but he was a bit bullied against Israel I thought he was 
off the ball too easily. Uh, and then last night, I thought the game just passed John Fleck by, and I, I thought that McLean was was decent at best. Um, I don't think that any of the centre mids stood out and and really grabbed the game by the scuff of the neck. So in an area that we are supposed to be strongest and have the the most depth, Gordon, where does Steve Clark go from here with regards to who he picks as his, his two deeper centre mids? Because I think that John McGinn is an automatic choice for the third centre mid going forward. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, Clark spoke in the build-up to this game of wanting his players to become undroppable in these games, looking ahead to the Serbia game. And you're right, I think of that midfield three, probably John McGinn's the only one who's done that. You have to bear in mind as well that you've got to throw Stuart Armstrong and Ryan Christie into that mix as well. If we are going with this wing-back formation without traditional wingers, then Ryan Christie's spell playing right wing for us probably has come to an end. So therefore, Ryan Christie comes into the conversation playing central mid. Um, it is an incredibly difficult circle to square. I think Clark will be having a lot of problems with that. Maybe something to, to tap into would be Gordon Strachan's approach of basically playing the players that play together at club, on a club level together. That would allude to potentially Cal McGregor and Ryan Christie playing together in centre mid, possibly. Um, I don't know what you guys think of that. I think, Ben, if, if we're going to be playing Ryan Christie in centre mid, would, would he suit being one of the deeper-lying ones alongside McGregor? See, I'm not, I'm not sure that's his best position. That's my only fear with that. Um, like you say, I think McGinn is the more advanced midfielder. That's sort of nailed on. Um, for me, I would probably prefer to see Christie playing off Dykes, playing off the striker. I think that's where you know his creativity is his biggest asset, and I think we miss that. I think him in that sort of roaming role that Fraser was in uh, against Slovakia, I think that would suit him best. I, I totally agree with Jack um, and Fleck. I felt like they had a real chance to say, you know, I can be this ball-winning, you know, you know, harem scare midfielder, and neither of them actually did it in either game. I think the Israel game was obviously the highest stakes, so there was probably more pressure on that one. Um, but I'm honestly not sure who you would put alongside um, McGinn in midfield. It's, it is a real tough one. It's it's not the selection headache that I think we fans expected to view because it's not now that like we're having five or six centre mids in great form to pick from. We're trying to pick to and and force them to to grab the jersey and make it theirs, Gordon. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, of course, you've got to bear in mind we've we've got another month to go until the playoff final, which I think is a is a great help. You know, originally it was supposed to be. Playoff semi-final on the Thursday, playoff final on the Tuesday. That would have just been an unbelievably, unbearably tense and nerve-wracking week. So, uh, and also you look at how much our players have come onto a game since they last played in September. I think both his, both performances this week were better than what we saw in September. So, I think I think things can change a lot between now and November. Um, we'll see who we'll see who makes a makes a claim for the jerseys. Ben, if we're going to be playing a more defensive-minded player, such as maybe Jack or potentially Callum McGregor, depending how you utilise him, um, maybe even McTominay, if he's pushed up into midfield to allow a back three of, say, Tierney, Gallagher and uh, Cooper. So if we're going to be playing a more defensive-minded midfielder with McGinn in front, is there room for Stuart Armstrong there in that spare spot? See, I'm not sure that he is another one that, to me, falls into the Christie mode more. I'd, I'd say he's probably he's more of a he's more of a centre midfielder. I think he's clever enough that he could play that role. And if you had somebody specifically sitting like a Jack or a McTominay, then he could play one of the centre mid roles. I think he's disciplined enough to hold the shape, and he would also give you a lot more creativity going forward. Um, I could see McGregor making the Serbia game. I thought he did really well when he came out against uh, Slovakia. I felt like he maybe had a bit of a point to prove. He was a bit like, well, no, I really do want this jersey. So I, I thought he, he controlled the game really well going into full-time, extra time. Um, I, I, would agree, I would agree on that, Ben Gordon. Would you think that that is the most influential performance we've seen from Callum McGregor in a Scotland shirt, albeit it was only about 15, maybe even 20 minutes? Yeah, almost definitely. I mean, look, I, I alluded earlier to just this unbelievably alien concept that we saw out a game, and it was really simple. Frankly, I don't think they even really had much of much possession in our half in the last 10, 15 minutes, 
a lot of that was Cal McGregor coming on, and a lot of that as well, we've got to tip the hat to Ollie McBurney coming on as well. I mean, it was almost like a training exercise at the end between McBurney, McGregor, and Robertson down in that left corner, just winning throw-in after throw-in and corner after corner, and just and seeming to love it. I mean, the shit-eating grin on Ollie McBurney's face as he won another throw-in was just... Th- those guys are loving it. Like, the, the winning breeds confidence, and confidence breeds winning, and I just... You'd love to see it. Do you know, it's, it's a funny comparison because when I was interviewing Graham Alexander last week and, and he spoke the same way that other players from that era have done to me like Sean Maloney and, and Gary Caldwell and Kenny Miller that when Walter Smith was in charge that the players were were excited and looking forward to coming along to the national team setup. and I think at that stage under Walter Smith as well Scotland weren't the most exciting or tantalising team but we were starting to you know get something building and, and start getting momentum before he ended up going to Rangers and I think that we could be soon riding uh, the crest of a similar wave here where players are looking forward to coming away with the national team like they were when Strachan was in charge again back to what it was like a few years ago but hopefully with better results on the horizon Yeah and I think you looked at McBurney coming on, I thought he was terrific and he had that confidence. And I think Dykes has that confidence as well. And I think that Clark really recognises that, you know, they're not scared of who they're playing. They've got the technique, they've got the ability, they've got the physicality. Um, yeah, I think we really could be onto something up front. I, I thought I thought Dykes was terrific again. Um, I thought he took his chances really well. He held the ball up really well. He really looks like the sort of striker that we've been missing. Um, I think, like we said last time about Steve Fletcher, he's that sort of that sort of striker, but he really looks like he's pretty lethal in the six-yard box as well, um, which obviously comes in handy. Well, we'll expand more on the striker situation shortly. Just before we, we move on from the centre midfielders to the attack, I've got down two names here. Um, I mentioned Gilmore earlier, so I've got two more names in terms of defensively-minded centre mids. So, I mean, we're... We are really blessed with players that like to break forward. McGregor, Armstrong, Christie, McGinn, Fleck, McLean. But we, we do need someone there that is happy just to sit in patrol and help look after the defence. Um, is Ross McCrory capable of stepping up and performing that role for the national team? And also, forgotten man, depending on how he gets on in the English Championship, Graham Shinney, Gordon. Well, I mean, on on Ross McCrory, I mean, we we often talk about players playing out of position, but I mean, is holding midfield even his position anymore? I mean, he's been flit, fitting in at right back for Aberdeen. Um, I think I think I think it will depend for me how he progresses at Aberdeen and what actual position he plays week on week um, before before we start considering him for that position for Scotland. Ben, yeah, I'm not sure. I again, I think I think he's with the under 21s just now. I think let him develop. In that, the other one I would say would be Alan Campbell um, from Motherwell. Again, it's maybe just a little bit too soon for him, but I can see him taking on the sort of Scott Brown role. Um, he's a really brilliant all-round performer, absolute battler. He loves that sort of dirty side to the game, and so I think he could definitely fill that gap um, in the future. I'm convinced that as soon as Alan Campbell goes to England, and it's a matter of when, not if, that as soon as he goes down there and starts to you know, stamp his authority on either the English Championship or maybe even the Premier League, that we'll see him involved in the yeah. in the national setup. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's massively underrated. And I think, I mean, he was linked with Aberdeen uh, and Hibs, but to, to me, he needs to go higher than that level. No disrespect to them, but for me, he's he needs to be old firm or, yeah, a good championship team. I think he's got everything you need for a centre mid and he's so young that he's got so much time to develop as well. I, th- I think the days of Alan Campbell staying in, in the Scottish leagues are, are over. I think his next move will be will be down south and I'm pretty sure his contract at Motherwell ends um, fairly soon. Is that is that right, Ben? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's up at the end because I think that's why Aberdeen and Hibs were looking to get him on a pre-contract. But I would imagine that he, well, I'm sure other clubs will be interested um, and he, I'm sure he'll probably think that he can get a good club at the end of the season. He has another good season. Um, yeah. I look but, forward to seeing where he goes. Essentially, the, we, we don't really know 
what to do with the centre mid situation is we, we've got nearly double figures in terms of players that could be capable of coming in and forming a partnership. It's it's hard to say, but if let me just put you both in the spot now. Um, never mind for the Czech Republic game this week because I think we might see a few changes. But Scotland, let's just pretend it for or one occasion we're going to be at complete full strength. And McGinn is the obvious choice breaking forward. Who would you like to see play as the two behind him? Or do you- oh, goodness me. Right, we are on the spot. Um, I and you, think- you, can, you can include McTominay in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, I think given that the game that we're looking at in the playoff final is going to be Serbia away, I feel like a lot of the onus, at least from the start, first half, is going to be on creating the most solid block possible and Clark balling our way to success, perhaps bringing on subs in the second half that can expand the game out a little bit. So I, for, in in my Steve Clark shoes, I would say you've got uh, McGregor, Jack and McGinn as your midfield three. Benjamin? Yeah, I would go McTominay uh, and McGregor, but I can understand, obviously, McTominay does end up playing centre-back again. Um, I would probably go Jack having slated him uh, for his performance against Israel, I still think you need you need a destroyer in there, as you say, to keep the game tight. Because that's if we thought Israel was nervous, like a nervous affair, then I can't even imagine what Serbia is actually going to be like. The pressure on those boys, knowing that they could be the ones that go down in history at ending in this run, you know, you're going to need battlers. And Ryan Jack is a battler, so I'll, I'll put Jack in. I think, to be honest, I think that Fleck despite the incredible season he had for Sheffield United and the, well, maybe not a clamour, but certainly the the talk about him being a main player for Scotland going forward. He is not one that has taken his opportunities um, in the national team so far, Ben. Yeah, no, I've not seen it. Um, I've obviously seen bits and bobs of him doing brilliantly for Sheffield United and I've thought, yep, give him the chance. Um, But yeah, he's he's not shown it. He's not... I was expecting him to come up and totally dominate the midfields, you know, and be a first name on the team sheet. But that just isn't the case. You know, that's why we're having these conversations about, you know, who should be filling these spots. He really should have been on paper. He should have been one of the first people on. But the performances haven't backed that up. And Clark will obviously have seen that. Gordon, have you been left disappointed by John Fleck? Yeah, I think so. I think I think he's, a, he's another player that, you know, gets talked about a lot down south. Um, I think another midfielder, Tom Kearney, was another example of a player like that who fans of his club down south would just rave and rave about he's the best midfielder in the championship and he's such a great player. And he'd come up here and you'd be like, well, is that is that it? Is that who he is? I mean, to be fair, Fleck maybe hasn't actually started this season that great for Sheffield United either. I don't think he's been starting every game in the Premier League. So, Maybe there's issues around that. He's not quite recaptured his form yet from last season, so he, he could still he could still do it for us. But no, I've, I've, I haven't seen it yet. Let's move on to the forward line then. Lyndon Dykes, uh, and even now, according to Steve Clark, is the first choice striker. A goal every two games for Scotland. Four caps, two goals, two decent strikers finishes where he was where he needed to be to put the ball into the back of the net. Ben, are you comfortable with Lyndon Dykes being Scotland's number nine? Yeah, 100%. As we kind of touched on earlier, I just think he's got everything you need to be an international striker because he can hold the ball up, he can finish, he's got physicality and he's got confidence. I think there's so much about confidence in international football. You need to believe that you can be the difference. And I just see that with Dykes. You see the way he smiles, the way he carries himself, the way he talks in the post-interview about getting a hat-trick. He just he has that sort of insatiable confidence, and he's that and he's that young as well. He's still got so much time to develop. So for me, we may have finally found that, that number nine that has that confidence that will say, you know, I'm going to be the guy that gets us these goals. I think Gordon, when he scored against the Czechs away from home, you thought, yes, good start, Lyndon Dykes, well done. When he scored last night, I think a lot of people will have sat up and thought, hold on a minute, maybe that wasn't a one-off, maybe we do have somebody that can take us forward. Absolutely, 100%. I think I agree with everything Ben just said. I think the only thing I would add is that for a guy who he looks, he's, he's got a big frame, he looks like a big, strong guy, what, what surprises you about watching him is just how hard he works. I mean, 
he ran all day in both games in, in Thursday's game and last night's game he put in an incredible shift and fighting for every ball winning every flick on chesting the ball down to begin a few times um, loved it and also the fact that he didn't need five or six chances to find the goal when that one decent cross came in the box he was in the perfect place finished no questions asked and yeah absolute confidence in him going forward I think we're lucky that he came to sort of fruition at Livingston because he just learned to play that way. He was always the one up front, but it was all about working hard for the team. Gary Holt, you know, drilled down to him. And Scotland are actually reaping the benefits of that. You know, he's got that work rate instilled in him already. Clark doesn't need to persuade him to do that job for the team because that's just how he's used to playing anyway. And Gordon, you were a big fan of Ryan Fraser working off Lyndon Dykes. In the, against Israel, we saw McBurney partnered with him. It didn't really work, let's be honest, whereas last night, it we seemed a bit more dangerous going forward. We did, oh, absolutely. I mean, some something we spoke about last week but when, when the squad was announced was just the kind of lack of natural width in that team. And I think when you, you are playing that system with the wing-backs, if the wing-backs aren't pushing high up the pitch as they did against Israel, then you've got a problem there about how you're going to attack from wide positions. I mean, Ryan Fraser said in his uh, post-match interview that he doesn't think he's ever actually played as a central striker in his career. Well, for me, this this was an absolute tactical revelation from Steve Clark because it meant that he could pop up on the left wing, he could pop up on the right wing, he's got the pace to switch sides all day long, which is what he did. And what a nightmare that must have been for Slovakia to defend against, because you just don't know where he's coming from. And what's fascinating, actually, is that two of our best attacking moves in the game, it was Fraser who set up Stephen O'Donnell for the cross from the right wing for our goal, and then it was Ryan Fraser who put in the cross from the left wing for McBurney to get ahead against the bar. So that's two of our best moves. They both come from Fraser, and it's from him on either side. So it's almost like playing with two wingers at once. Ben, are you... Comfortable with Ryan Fraser being included in the forward lane rather than out wide? Yeah, I think he showed adaptability there. He really showed. And maybe it's a bit of a, a release, you know, it's a bit of freedom. You know, it's that sort of free 10 role to go. He's obviously a really creative player anyway. Um, but I, I like the fact that the fact that he can drop his shoulder, you know, and just go past someone. That is so important. It just opens up the team. You know, there's so many stubborn defences, but that pace that he's got and that confidence, that little turn to just unlock the door and it made a difference last night. Um, I do really like Christie in that role as well. So I think Clark's got a bit of a decision there over who he's going to go with to play that role. Um, but if Fraser goes back and plays a few games with Newcastle and keeps his form up, then I could see him continuing that role the way he's played. And what about Mick Burney Gordon award for him? Because he's been on the receiving end of a lot of stick unwarranted to be honest from some Scotland fans some sections of the support he didn't do so well against Israel that was a, a tough high pressure game but he came on last night and his shoulders just seemed to to drop a little bit he seemed a bit more comfortable taking the ball in feeding it out wide and running it into the corner and he was unlucky not to score with that header yeah absolutely he was absolutely fantastic when he came on last night you're right I think he played with freedom he played with confidence I think also he showed he showed what he can do. He showed his technical abilities. You know the way that he was able to link up with playing nice little balls around the corner for Cal McGregor, for Andy Robertson, and also just as I said before, like last night was a real streetwise performance from Scotland. There was no daft, naive moves, no playing it in front of our own defence. We kept we pinned them into their corner and we kept them there. And Ollie McBurney was at the absolute heart of that. And I don't know if you guys saw his tweet after the game where he said, um, get it to the shithouse in the corner, hashtag play for the throw-ins. And I'm like, I'm looking at that and I'm like, he's got everything in his locker to be an actual cult hero for Scotland. I think yeah. as soon as he starts adding goals, I mean, he's got the he's got the power, he's got the banter. I, I can see him being a real an icon for us. Ben, there are seven Celtic games between now and the playoff final against Serbia. Big games, make no mistake. Celtic play Rangers, they play AC Milan, they play Lille, they play Aberdeen twice, once in the Scottish Cup semi-final. Should Lee Griffiths have an impact in some or the majority of those games? Can you see him being recalled to the Scotland setup? I could definitely see him getting back into the squad. 
I mean, you just have to look at that England game at Hamden and, you know, when when the chips are really down and also that Slovenia away game when he scored, um, you can, in, in the really important moments, he can get you a goal. So if, as you say, the very big games coming up, if he can have an impact in some of those games, you know, goal scoring or even just, you know, Clark's going to watch every one of those. If he performs brilliantly, then absolutely he'll be called up. I'm not sure he has as much to his armory as Dykes does, but I would still definitely have him. And if you think of someone, if you need a goal and there's 20 minutes to go, what an option to have off the bench. A fully fit, confident and informed Griffiths would would certainly be in the mix. Gordon, uh, uh, an option to, to bring off the bench, certainly. As Ben mentioned, he doesn't have the same attributes as Dykes, but is there anyone else in the Scotland squad that can grab a goal out of nothing that Lee, that Lee Griffiths can do? No, certainly not. I, I, I don't think there's anyone that's as natural a finisher as Lee Griffiths. Um, you're right, games between now and then, we'd love to see him playing, love to see him scoring for Celtic. Um, I, I don't know if there's an upper limit on squad size with these get-togethers now that they're triple headers. Obviously, we called up a 26-man squad originally for this get-together. I don't know if you can push it higher. So, you know, th- there's probably nothing to lose from calling up Lee Griffiths into the into the setup for the next games, for sure. Would his potential inclusion come at the expense of Lauren Shankland? Ben, I've seen his name mentioned alongside Kevin Nisbet on Twitter recently. If, if Shankland's in the squad, you know, Kevin Nisbet needs to be, needs to be spoken about as well. N- Nisbet you know, has just come up from the the championship the same as Shankland and he's he's scoring goals he's doing fine but he's, he's scoring against a contextually lower quality teams as, as a national team call up still a wee bit out of the the reach of Kevin Nisbet and therefore does Shankland need a, a bit more time as well yeah I would say that I'd say they're on the fringes of the of the squad at the moment I understand the calls for calling them up because they are scoring every week in the Scottish Premiership but I think you look at Griffiths, he has a lot more on his CV. He just has that experience of doing it in massive games. That if it was ever a competition, you know, Dykes has shown that he can do it. And Griffiths has also shown that he can do it. So I would imagine that they would be sort of third, fourth, fifth choice anyway. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine them coming into contention uh, for, the, for the final against Serbia. Um, but definitely good prospects. And it's good to have so many Scottish strikers scoring because that hasn't always been the case in the last few years. Yeah. Well, and then of course, bear, bear in mind, by by the time the next games roll around, the Scottish Championship will have kicked off and guys like Stephen Naismith could be back in the conversation as well. Talk about guys who've seen it all and done it all for Scotland. The, uh, there was a consensus on Twitter, probably quite, well, definitely, quite rightly, over the Israel game and the Slovakia game that it, a lot of it was boring. There, there was no enjoyment really in watching Scotland for a lot of that. Now I mentioned at the top of the podcast that you know results are the main thing. We look at Northern Ireland um, getting to the Euros and having a wee run there. Even Greece going back to 2004, they had success from being a, a stubborn, resolute team that were effective on the counter. Scotland are showing signs of you know defending well, remaining organised, keeping their concentration. Is the next step for us making sure that when the time to go forward comes, Gordon, that we do it effectively? I think it absolutely is. Um, I, I think you're right, there has been a lot of criticism on social media that these games have not exactly been the most enjoyable to watch. But as you said, it's a results business. I've, to be fair, I've, I've also seen people pointing out that, you know, we appointed Steve Clark as manager. So really, people shouldn't be surprised that we are playing a sort of safety first approach you know we don't have Kevin Keegan as manager you know we're not going to play every game 5-3 um, which which I'm, I'm absolutely fine with I, th- I think you've we've alluded to in, uh, earlier in this podcast about our recent su- recent-ish success when we had Walter Smith in charge and it was the same approach you know you play safety first compact tight football and win games the way you can you've got to play to your strengths and, uh, and, and, and also bear in mind you know it was only about a year ago that we were losing 4-0 against Russia and 4-0 against Belgium. So I I don't hold it against Steve Clark that he's wanted to tighten up at the back as a matter of priority. Ben, no concerns for you? Yeah, I think it's certainly risk-free football. You, you can see every, every time that 
the idea is to go backwards. My my concern, my, my worry about that is that eventually that might cost us. You know, if we don't take a chance when it's presented to us, if we're so programmed to go back the way that you might not take the chance that you really need, because against the better teams, especially say away from home against Serbia, you might only get a couple of chances to actually open a team up. And if they decide to take the safe option and go back the way, you might miss it. And if you look at the Israel game as an example, yes, we were very safe and we were very compact. But if they'd scored that chance at the very end and we'd gone out, it would have been a totally different story. And then it totally wouldn't have worked. So I know the margins are really small and at the moment they're going for us. But in a really big game, um, it might not work. So it's just, it's all about that, the balance. Um, I would like to see us be a little bit more decisive going forward, as well as being so solid at the back. Yeah, Gordon, just the necessity that when the counter-attack is on and we do have McGinn and Fraser and one of the wing-backs pushing forward, that we look like we know what we're going to do and the players know what they're going to do before the ball reaches them. The correct runs are being made, the correct positions are being held and therefore we, we stand a better chance of hurting the opposition even if the game has been, the, the flow of the game has been going against us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, 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 I think certainly in, in, in these last two games, and particularly last night, you probably saw the highest level of confidence among the players, that they knew what the plan was, that they looked most content in the system last night. Um, they were always there to support each other. There was always an open pass. And even if it was a simple, easy pass or backward pass, it retained possession. And they can't score if we've got possession. What would you like to see then, Gordon, against the Czechs? this week. I think there are going to be a few changes. Andy Robertson won't be involved. I wonder what the back three is going to be. Will Scott McTominay play a third consecutive 90 minutes on international week? Will Dykes get another start? What, how do you expect the squad, or the, or the starting lineup, sorry, to, to be shaken up, or, or do you at all? Well, I think in normal circumstances, in a, in a third game in a week, you probably would be looking at quite a few changes. Um, for me, I would love if Clark just kept the changes to a minimum because this game against the Czech Republic is actually hugely important for us going forward. I mean, I've seen a lot of confusion or issues with people online just sort of questioning, well, what's the Nations League for? What are we doing? What are we getting out of this? If we can win our group, the potential rewards are absolutely enormous for us and they would echo for at least the next four years, which if you'll allow it, I'd love to just run you through very quickly. Yes, so, please. When this Nations League campaign ends, obviously we're in League B right now. If we win our group, that would get us promotion to League A for the next campaign. Now, the next thing on the radar for us is World Cup 2022 qualifying. The draw for that is in December. Now, that will be based on FIFA rankings. We are currently about low pot three. We've got next to no chance of getting into pot two, so we'll be in pot three for World Cup 2022 qualifying where it'll be the traditional group stage, where if you win the group, you qualify for the World Cup. If you finish second, you get a playoff. Now, there will also be two playoff places that will go to teams from this Nations League that we're in right now. Now, different to the Euros, the Nations League playoffs will only be eligible to group winners. So right now in League A, the teams that are winning their groups are Italy, England, Portugal, and Spain. Now, I think we probably agree that all four of those teams will qualify for the World Cup or get a playoff. They'll finish first or second. In League B, right now, the group league, group winners, are, as it stands, is Austria, who've qualified for Euro 2016 most recently, us, Russia, who've qualified for the last five tournaments in a row, and Wales, who've qualified for the last two Euros and last went to the World Cup in 1958. Now, so long as two of those teams qualify, finish first or second in their groups, we would get a playoff if we win our group. So we'd be, we would be guaranteed a World Cup 2022 playoff. And then going beyond that, into the next stage of Nations League, where we'd be in League A, this is now June to September 2022, um, we'd be in League A, and um, Euro 2024 qualifying, if it's based on the, the same as, as last time for Euro 2020, it'll be based on the Nations League rankings. Now, with us having been in League A for that campaign, we'll be guaranteed to be at the very least in pot two for Euro 2024 qualifying. And again, in that qualifying, top two qualifies automatically. 
third place gets a playoff. Or no, sorry, no, third place doesn't get a playoff. Playoffs are from Nations League. And again, if we be in League A, if you look at the last Nations League campaign, every team in League A except for Iceland qualified for the tournament. Iceland got a playoff playoff path against teams from League C. So they were massively benefited from being in League A to get a path to this Euros right now. So us qualifying for League A, us getting promoted, is absolutely enormous. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't think enough people know that. Know that. Well, I, I think, Gordon, the term that I've seen thrown around quite a lot is glorified friendly uh, in these Nations League. So what you're saying essentially um, throws that into the fire pit. Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, so, 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 just to summarise, then, if we can win our League B group in this current Nations League campaign, that would give us an exceptionally good chance of getting a playoff for the World Cup in 2022. It would see us seeded second for qualifying for Euro 2024, and it would give us a guaranteed playoff for Euro 2024 if we didn't qualify through our group. So, the benefits. I mean. This, this is how it always is with these UEFA competitions. Once you get to that top tier, the systems are always benefited. They're always set up to benefit the teams at the top. And if we're in League A, that would be us, and we can reap the rewards for years to come. So a million miles away from glorified friendlies. Ben, going from what Gordon's explained there, very well, by the way, Gordon, thank you. If Going from what Gordon's said there, how would you like to see us play against the Czech Republic? Because we can move on to 10 points, four points ahead of them if we beat them at Hamden this week. And that would probably mean we need maybe just another point or so to, to top the group um, come November. So how would you like to see us take on the Czechs with regards to team selection? Yeah, I have to say first, well done, Gordon, because that, that is not any easy system to break down. You're one of the few people heard that managed to do it. Um, but yeah, it just it totally it totally reinforces how important this game uh, against the Czech uh, Czech Republic is. Um, and for me, that for that reason, I would say that we need to play as strong an eleven as we can. Um, I, I obviously don't want to see people get injured, but the fact of the matter is, we've got a month until the final. So if it means that we can play Dykes again, we can we can play again again. If they have to go back to their clubs tired, then so be it. This is a massive game for us. And like Gordon's saying, if you can get into that top tier, everything is rigged in your favour to keep qualifying. And the trouble is we've been out of that for so long that we've always been so lowly seeded for qualifying that it's been that much more difficult. That's why we've ended up with groups with France, Italy, Ukraine. Whereas if we're seeded second, suddenly the second hardest team is us in our group um, so, yeah, I, I would like to see us play almost full strength um, as much as we can. Um, and like you say, if we can get a win this one, this this is almost a decider for the group. Um, so a, a draw would be great. It keeps us ahead of them, but a win could be massive. Yeah, a win, a win sending us four points clear of the Czech Republic with two to go would mean that one win from our last two games would guarantee, and that would be assuming the Czech Republic would win their last two games. If they don't, then you're right, Andy, a draw would probably do it. And obviously our final two games would be away in Israel and away in Slovakia. Um, also, just one little bit of breaking news before we came on was that apparently the Czech public manager and another player have tested positive for COVID-19. So they will be leaving the squad um, and the assistant will take charge and replacement players will be called up. So who knows who will be playing on Wednesday? Well, it'll be interesting to see how things go on Wednesday because away from home last month, did the Czechs... They were far from full strength, and we got away with murder uh, over <laughs> there. We're coming back with the three points. That was, well, not daylight robbery, um, but it was robbery. Um, so I think that like, we need to build what we've done, build on what we've done against Slovakia, um, start to string dangerous passes together going forward, a bit of pace, a bit of injection about the side, and continue to remain resolute. Whoever's at the back, it won't be Cooper. He's he's gone back to Leeds injured, I think. So say that it is Gallagher, um, Codsedine and McTominay or Porteous or Hanlon, whoever it is, I think that it's important that we continue to remain resolute and the midfield hopefully step up a bit and make things happen um, going forward into the, the final third. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So we'll have a chat again at the end of the week, shall we? And then as the playoff final edges closer in November, am I right in saying that it's just over a month from now? Is it the 14th of November? It's the 12th. Is exactly, exactly a month today. A month today, yeah. gosh, right. So... Right, well, uh, we'll come back together nearer the time um, because obviously so much can happen between now and then. Coronavirus, uh, players just getting injured on domestic duty, who knows? So let's have a look closer to the time and we'll chat about the Czech Republic later this week. All right, cheers, boys. Keep washing your hands. (laughs) Sports Social Podcast Network.